Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 797, air date October 11th, 2020. Hello, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Ayadure. We have a great guest today, Tim Canova from Florida, who ran uh, for a public office against the evil Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and he's going to share the election fraud that took place. And we're going to wait until people uh, come on in. But uh, today's talk is really going to be about uh, election fraud. And, and in my view, and as Tim is going to share, that election fraud is really the new pandemic. It's it's the real pandemic that's taking place. And it's important that we have a, a real discussion on it. So that's what we're going to do. So anyway, we have people uh, logging in. Let me. Tim's right here. Tim, if, you, if you're going to say hello, we're just getting people to come in. This is Tim Canova. Tim, hold on. Let me Let me bring you in. Go ahead, Tim. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. It's very nice to be here with you. Appreciate right. everything you've been doing. Thanks, Tim. And I know Tim's going to share. What, what, what do you want? We have people from all over the world, Tim. We have people from Malaysia. We have people from Boston, Broward County. Um, someone said I live in Broward County. Is that where you are, Tim? That is where I am. Absolutely. Yeah, we have Anthony Zingley from Broward County. I uh, just logged in. Uh, let's see what people are coming in. Um, by the way, everyone. Uh, you may want to, if, if you're on Facebook, you may want to do a watch party, uh, let others know. This is going to be a very, very important th- uh, discussion today because everyone's heard what occurred in Massachusetts, what's occurring right now, our write-in campaign we're doing. But Tim's going to really share. Uh, he was probably one of the first people to face this on a national scale on what took place to him down in Broward County. Again, going after uh, this I don't know what this person is, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. It's quite amazing that people like that even exist. Uh, people from Michigan, Alabama, Laguna Hills, Canada, uh, Aloha, uh, Hawaii, Central Massachusetts, Weymouth, great to have you, uh, Patricia, uh, New York, uh, Anthony Sullivan from Worcester, and, and people are saying many of us are blocked from Facebook. That's something that's going on, Tim. These guys are getting so afraid of us uh, that they're starting to just essentially Try to choke us over Pembroke Pines, Montego Bay, Jamaica, Boston. Uh, good to have you, Texas, Alex Martin, uh, Los Angeles, Baton Rouge, North Attleboro, Massachusetts. Great to have you on. Suzanne, Gregory Gill, Cape Cod, Kansas, Philippines, Australia, uh, Calgary, Alberta, United Kingdom, uh, New York. As you can see, Tim, it's like sort of a wide array of people come everywhere because our movement was really focused on this whole concept which is a pretty uh, great idea and a movement for truth, freedom, and health. Without freedom, we can't really have truth. Without tr- truth, we can't really get down to the problems of uh, what really drives the health of our infrastructure or our body. And then without health, we can't have the strength to fight for freedom. Wichita, Kansas, uh, New Jersey again, Massachusetts, Phoenix, Arizona, New Jersey. Great. So before we start, Tim, I'm just going to just share with people our campaigns at, and I'll bring you right back in one second. So. To everyone out there, uh, today's going to be a, a great show. Um, Tim is going to share with us the uh, the ordeal he endured in Broward County, and he was essentially a pioneer in some ways of enduring this. And uh, Tim and I are probably uh, more of the people who've been bringing it to the national level, but there have been many, many, many victims of this election fraud. So that's why I titled today's talk is that election fraud is a real pandemic. Uh, many of you know I've been really exposing Fauci before this whole nonsense of the fear mongering around the coronavirus, which has really nothing to do with public health. But there is a real pandemic, which Americans should wake up to uh, and recognize that election fraud is not something that occurs in some far off 
uh, quote unquote third world country, but it occurs right here in the United States and it's rampant. And but before I go there, let me just uh, bring everyone up to date on what our campaign's been up to. One of the things I'm going to do is I am before I start here, shut down a couple of things here because we're noticing that things are becoming really slow. One of the things that happens to him is if we don't, if we have too many things running, um, things become slow. So I'm going to just turn off a couple of things here just for speed and it'll make things faster. Let's see what else we got running here. Okay. That's good. So that should be a little bit better. All right. So, um, let, let me just share with you people what's going on with the campaign. As many of you know, we have moved our campaign. We're escalating our movement for truth, freedom, and health to a write-in campaign. So those of you who want to support us, please go to shivaforsenate.com and you can go to write to shivaforsenate.com. And as you know, I always like to point out a couple of things. One is many of you out there, uh, let everyone know that they can write in for our campaign. And we are putting out all of these cards out there, about several million of them. Uh, and it's really letting everyone know that we're writing in because we have incredible visibility over Massachusetts. But everyone needs to know that we are conducting a write-in campaign. And the movement now is to really fight for our democracy and we have to stop election fraud. So when people take their pen, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword and write in, as we're showing right here, Dr. Shiva and fill in that oval, you're making a political statement in a very powerful way that we need to protect our democracy because frankly we have none we as, as we've shared we really have controlled democracy and that's going to come out more as uh, tim shares what happened with them in florida the other thing we need people to do is we want to raise another around 250k to put into tv and radio as you know i don't like begging for money when you support our campaign i support you by teaching you systems and we need about you know 50 people to give us five bucks. That's not a lot. Or 5,000 people can give us 50 bucks. But those people give us $5. One of the things I offer is I want to teach you the fundamentals of how all systems work, political systems, you know, uh, any type of engineering systems. Your body is a system. So please take a moment to support the campaign. You can donate $5 to Shiva for Senate. And when you do, you get a 108 page books, which teaches you what a system is and what is revolution. And then you also will learn, a. I give you access to a software that I created called Your Body, Your System. And this tool is a very powerful tool because it teaches you how your body is a system, but in a very practical way, you can answer a set of questions to understand what kind of system you are within an engineering systems approach that I developed. And then using this tool, you can also figure out how your own system is off course. And then you can figure out how particular supplements, foods, and you know exercises can bring you back to, back to course. This is an educational tool that'll actually teach you the fundamentals of every system. If a political system, you know, has a particular course, which is truth, freedom, and health, how the the, the forces of power, profit, and control can take it away, and how we need to put in the right inputs to get it back. So please take advantage of this. And those of you who donate fifty dollars or more. I have a, a very powerful tool that I created called Systems Help. It's a series of five courses, which really teaches you um, and can help certify you so you can become a teacher of systems thinking. There's four courses. I normally offer this for $250 and you can actually get a book, you can get certified. And what we're doing is for anyone who supports the campaign right now, you only have to pay $50 instead of 250. So it's, um, you know, 
uh, 20% of the cost, but we need, let's say 5,000 people to do that. So please support the campaign. Again, our goal here really is to educate people on the power of systems, because if you can understand systems, everyone can start becoming a leader in their own communities. Um, and then finally, what I wanted to let people know is you can also uh, do something very, very simple is you can volunteer to support the campaign. Volunteering means you can help make phone calls, you can help become a digital warrior, um, and you can also uh, do something very simple, which is you can also um, tell your other friends to vote for us wherever you are. If you're outside of the United States, everyone is about one degree of freedom away from someone in the United States that you know. So you can just click on right here where it says volunteer and you can volunteer. You can volunteer to help make phone calls. Uh, we need hundreds of people to make phone calls so you can join the campaign right here. And right over here, you can say, I would like to make phone calls. And wherever you are, any part of the world, all you need is access to the web. We have our own phone calling system that you can use. It's a web-based system. So that's what we need. Um, so anyway, let me um, go to Tim. Tim and I are gonna start our discussion here. So Tim, uh, let me bring you in. So Tim, I thought it'd be really good. Maybe we take this in a couple of parts. First, if you can just give a quick background on yourself. I know you're a professor of law right now, but sort of your background, where you came from. And then the second part, if you can share, jump right in. And if you can talk about what happened in your election against Debbie Wasserman Schultz, how they stole it. And then we'll have a discussion, you know, I'll bring it back to what occurred in Massachusetts here. And then it'd be great if you, then, you know, then we can continue and go, go, go as long as we want. Uh, people sometimes may ask questions. Go ahead, Tim, let me bring you on. Go ahead. Sure. Sounds great. Uh, thank you, Dr. Shiva. Um, I grew up in New York and um, was um, went to law school at Georgetown University. Uh, I worked on Capitol Hill as a legislative aide uh, some years ago. Uh, just for a couple of years, I was a, a legislative aide to the late U.S. Senator Paul Songus, who was a Democrat from Massachusetts. And um, maybe it's his seat you're running for. Um, I, I can't recall which seat. Uh, and. Uh, practiced law for a little while and then went into law teaching. Uh, first got tenured at University of New Mexico, made my way back to the East Coast, and I'm very happy that for the past eight years I've been a tenured law professor at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale. I uh, never really thought I was going to run for a political office. It was not something I had great ambitions to do. Uh, but in 2015, I got involved with the Citizens Trade Campaign lobbying my local congresswoman and others in the Florida delegation against the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP. Big multinational trade deal that hands over a lot of sovereignty to foreign corporations, to giant corporations. And uh, we had trouble getting through to our local congresswoman. Uh, we discovered that if you didn't have a $5,000 check from a political action committee, uh, you really, she didn't give you the time of day. And uh, that local congresswoman was Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, she was the only Democrat in Florida's House delegation to vote to fast track the TPP, at which point uh, the folks I was working with in the Citizens Trade Campaign uh, were uh, hoping that we could find uh, somebody in Florida who would challenge her in a Democratic primary. It's a gerrymandered district. It's, uh, I think, 40 or 45 percent Democrat about 35% independent and maybe 20, 25% Republican. Um, we had trouble finding anyone who wanted to take on Debbie Wasserman Schultz because she was the chair of the Democratic National Committee at the time. 
And um, I should back up and say, as a legal scholar, I worked a lot on international trade issues and also central banking. Uh, in 2011, I was appointed by Senator Bernie Sanders to a select advisory committee on reforming the Federal Reserve. Um, and when, uh, when we were looking for someone to challenge Debbie Wasserman Schultz, of course, the presidential race of 2015 was going on and it became increasingly clear that Wasserman Schultz was putting her finger on the scales at the DNC um, to uh, help Hillary Clinton overcome the insurgency from Bernie Sanders. Uh, it also became clear that she was becoming the most unpopular uh, political figure, perhaps, in the Democratic Party, maybe except for Hillary Clinton at the time. And um, anyway, I got talked into running, and I allowed myself to get talked into it. I thought the campaign could raise a lot of money um, the way Bernie Sanders was raising money in small donations online. In early January 2016, I announced I was running, and in no time at all, the campaign started going viral. Um, I'll just make a long story short and say that it went viral. We raised about $3.8 million from 209,000 individual donors around the country with an annual, uh, I'm sorry, an average donation of only $17. At the time, it broke all records for uh, highest percentage of small online donations for any candidate for federal office. Uh, I think over 75% of our donations were under $200 or less. I had vowed I wasn't gonna take any political action committee money. I, I stayed with that pledge. Uh, what did we do with the $3.8 million? We put it right back into the district. We had four field offices. Uh, I think it was the largest grassroots campaign of any in any congressional district in 2016. Uh, to give you an idea, Bernie Sanders only had one field office in all of South Florida. We had four field offices in our one congressional district. Wow. And uh, we were employing, I think it was about 50 or 60 people full time. Uh, and we had a couple of hundred volunteers. And all in all, we were knocking on 12,000 doors a week and inputting our voter engagements into the van voter minivan database. So we had big field numbers. Um, there actually was one poll um, that had been released by a newspaper, but it was released two or three months before the election, uh, before we were really surging. And I was down by uh, 10 percentage points or so. I can't recall exactly. We did one poll and again, a couple of months out and we were down by eight percentage points. Uh, the problem for Wasserman Schultz was that she had very high negatives. Um, and there was about a quarter of the electorate that was undecided. And, and that was before we even got into high gear. So we surged during that summer. Our field numbers, like I said, knocking on 12,000 doors a week, that's a much better indication than um, a push poll where they call maybe 600 voters uh, and ask them over the phone. So we had a very good idea. Um, and we had 10 days of early voting sites, an election day site, uh, election day, we were surging everywhere. It, it was very clear on the ground that we were beating her badly. Um, the only advantage she had were the early uh, mail-in votes uh, where um, her machine, her political machine had uh, a, a lot of control over the nursing homes. So they could really um, manipulate the early votes. But, you know, the early votes were maybe a third of the votes, if that, and um, we were surging. We had a lot of confidence in that final couple of weeks. And, um, and when you went to the early voting sites, you couldn't find a Wasserman Schultz volunteer, uh, very few supporters. So it felt great. And um, 
uh, the day before the election was the first indication that they were up to some kind of uh, chicanery, which was the local NBC6 affiliate uh, had on their website a preview of the next day's elections in Broward County. And they showed, you know, elections for commissioners, for sheriff, and all those races were zeroed out because no votes had yet been counted. Uh, each candidate with zero percent, with zero percentage of the precincts reporting. But mysteriously, in our race, it showed Wasserman Schultz winning 52 to 48. No, no, 58 to 42. Wow. With 69 percent of the precincts counted. And you know, we called up NBC and said, what's going on here? And they, they took it down, but to this day, never gave an explanation. And then um, the next day happens again. Our, our experience at all the voting sites was just fantastic. But the polls closed. An hour later, they declared Wasserman Schultz the victor by 13 percentage points. I never conceded defeat. I, I had serious doubts about the numbers. And in the days following the election, I started to be contacted by election experts and election integrity experts uh, all over the country who had been crunching the numbers and they'd been doing something called the cumulative vote tally, uh, which suggested to these experts that the vote had been flipped by computer software, that in fact, I was probably the one winning by about 13 percentage points. Um, so I put in a, um, an official request to inspect the ballots with the supervisor of elections office, which was at the time run by Brenda Snipes. Her name would later become a household name in Florida. Uh, but uh, Snipes and her office stonewalled my public records request for seven months. And uh, I should say it's very clear under Florida law, statutory law, that um, ballots are public documents and that any citizen can inspect them under the Public Records Act. It's even a, a right under the Florida Constitution. So we finally filed the lawsuit to inspect the ballots, um, filed it in June of 2017. And uh, a couple of months into the lawsuit, we served uh, discovery requests, which, you know, what were we requesting? We were requesting to see the ballots. Uh, the supervisor had already indicated that they had not taken any scanned ballot images, no digital scanned images, which seemed very strange to us because when you take the paper ballots in Florida, no matter how you vote, whether it's voting by mail or voting on election day or early voting, they take that paper ballot and they feed it through an electronic scanning machine, which should not just be tabulating the vote, but it should be taking a scanned image. So the supervisor from the beginning said that, oops, we never took scanned images, but we have the paper ballots. So three days after our discovery request, uh, which was in August of 2017, Three days later, September 1st, 2017, Brenda Snipes signed a destruction order and they destroyed every ballot that was cast. They were under uh, legal duty under both federal and state law to maintain those paper ballots for 22 months and they missed by 10 full months. Um, these are crimes, uh, felonies punishable by up to five years in prison. And not only did they destroy the ballots, they then withheld that information from me, my lawyers, and the court for two and a half months um, and kept litigating. Uh, it's like they were trying to, they were expecting I would run again and they were trying to bleed my campaign of money, I believe, uh, while we were busy litigating. And um, we took uh, Brenda Snipes' deposition and we had uh, sworn videotaped a deposition of her admitting to destroying the ballots and not having any kind of excuse. Um, the judge in the Florida 17th Judicial Circuit in May of 2018 
granted a summary judgment, which essentially just allowed us to recover attorney's fees for my lawyers. And uh, what I wanted were the paper ballots. They were gone. There was nothing that could be done at that point. Um, and, and after they admitted destroying the paper ballots, they claimed they actually had digital scanned images after all. So you didn't know what to believe. You know, who's creating the digital scanned images? These election machines here are run by uh, and sold by election systems and software, ES&S, yeah. one of the three big giants that dominate the industry. And of course, we wanted to know more about this firm. And all we could find out really was that it was owned by a private equity fund uh, called the McCarthy Group based in Omaha, Nebraska. It's not a publicly traded firm. There's very few disclosures. It's There's no transparency in this whatsoever. And um, well, the judge ruled for us and put out a 10-page order and laid out all the laws, all the statutes that have been violated, including violated the simple, you know, uh, very fundamental litigation requirements that when you're in litigation, you don't destroy any of the documents that are relevant and documents that have been requested during discovery. And we were hoping, of course, when the um, judge's ruling was um, came out, that that would trigger renewed interest in what had happened to us and that there'd be a law enforcement reaction. Uh, after all, these are felonies, as I said, under both federal and state law. And uh, to our great frustration, uh, the governor of Florida at the time, a Republican, Rick Scott, refused to get his Department of Law Enforcement involved. And um, we did, my lawyer spoke for almost two hours to the acting um, U.S. attorney in South Florida, a man named Benjamin Greenberg at the time, uh, who was very excited. Uh, you know, this was an open and shut case. Uh, I mean, prosecutors dream it's being handed to them on a silver platter with a bow tied around it. Uh, we got a, like I said, a, a sworn videotaped confession. We've got documentary evidence, oh, wow. showing, you know, and uh, Greenberg looked like he was really motivated to, didn't have to investigate much, just prosecute. And if you prosecute Snipes, maybe you cut a plea bargain with her and get her to sing and see who else was involved. But uh, Greenberg went up to Washington, D.C. for a week of meetings at the Justice Department, uh, as we were to later find Is out. Were Greenberg the U.S. attorney in Florida? He was the acting U.S. attorney at the time, yes, sir. Okay. And what, when he went to Florida, he had a week of meetings at the Justice Department with including the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein. And he came back to Florida and suddenly had a lot of reasons why they couldn't prosecute. So um, my lawyer who, um, you know, to find an election lawyer when you're running against the head of the Democratic National Committee, all the Democratic election lawyers were conflicted out whether I could trust them or not. So I had a very good Republican election lawyer and he's he was tied into a lot of Republican politics in Florida. And I asked him, how come none of the Republicans seem willing to investigate? They should be just so excited to try to break up the Wasserman Schultz, you know, political mafia here. And he got back to me after a couple of weeks and he said, I could expect no help from the Republican party of Broward all the way up to Tallahassee because they have the same friends as Debbie, uh, same friends as Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And the more we spoke about it, it was clear the friends he was talking about were the corporate lobbyists that represent the interests that have dominated Florida politics for more than half a century. Uh, the big sugar interests and Florida Power and Light and Nextera, the big energy companies. Um, so uh, here I was by then a candidate running against her as, as an independent, not a single Democrat had spoken out about this blatant fraud in a democratic stronghold. 
So I ran as an independent in 2018 and uh, we raised less money, but we still raised over half a million and we had a lot of name recognition and Wasserman Schultz was no more popular. Uh, we had heard through the grapevine there were Republican polls out there, um, RNC polls that were showing that Wasserman Schultz had a low ceiling, that she couldn't break out of the, around the 35% area uh, because her negatives were so high. Uh, so that a three-way race was, was winnable, we hoped. Then about uh, two or three weeks before the election, from my recollection, um, uh, the Floridian Press reported a poll that showed a dead heat. Uh, 34%, 34%, Wasserman Schultz and myself with the Republican at 13% and about a fifth of the, the electorate undecided. So we had uh, great hopes. And if I could just back up and go back to the 2016 race, you know, when those ballots were destroyed, I went back and looked at our final field numbers, which I mentioned were based on knocking on 12,000 doors a week through the summer heat for week after week. And what I found was... Um, those who were identified as strongly for Wasserman Schultz combined with leaning to Wasserman Schultz were only 5,112 votes, voters. Um, these are among likely voters that we had um, uh, made contact with on numerous occasions, numerous door knocks. Um, those, so 5,000 plus leaning to her is strongly for her. 8,746 leaning to me, 13,136 strongly for me, and 14,589 undecided. Wasserman Schultz could have gotten every undecided voter. We still would have won that race. So um, I think that spoke a lot louder than any uh, polls of 600 people on the phone. Well, back to 2018, we were closing fast. Uh, there was the Floridian Press reporting that it looked like a uh, dead heat down the, down the final stretch. Uh, it was hard to, to say what was going to happen, but we worked real hard in those final few weeks and we had a lot of volunteers. The momentum certainly seemed to be going our way again at the end. If I had won, I would have been the only independent elected to the U.S. House of Representatives you know, in Congress. Uh, anyway, the polls close. Uh, an hour later, they declare Wasserman Schultz the victor. She's suddenly the most popular Democrat in the entire state of Florida with 59% of the vote or something like that. And I had 5% of the vote which of course to us seemed ridiculous. It was not believable. And the experts started to zero in on the numbers and look at them closely. And they saw, I didn't just get 5% of the vote throughout the district. I got 5% in every demographic group among whites, blacks, Hispanics, males, females, Democrats, Republicans, independents, and every precinct regardless of size in the district. Um, the chair of uh, the New Jersey Institute of Technology uh, Department of Computational Science, a very well-credentialed uh, expert named Dr. David Bader took a look at these numbers and he said uh, that they were mathematically impossible, that they were as unlikely as winning the lottery every day for a year. And the expert said the more likely explanation was manipulating only four or five lines of source code in the software. Now, do you, of course, we'd love to inspect the software that was used on these machines, both in 2016 and 2018, but nobody's allowed to. They're proprietary. They're the private property and trade secrets of ESNS uh, and any other vendors who are involved. So there were, that is the story, uh, you know, in a nutshell of what happened to us. I, I contested the 2018 election results by filing a formal complaint in the U.S. House of Representatives in the House Administration Committee 
uh, to this day, they have never even acknowledged receiving uh, the complaint uh, from my uh, attorneys. Yeah, so so Tim, let me just, uh, uh, about a couple hundred more live, view, 150 more live viewers have joined us. So let me just summarize, Tim. If you look at what you just shared, there was two elections you were involved in, two, two elections you were robbed by um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. In the first case, um, you raised $3.2 million. 3.8 million. Three point, sorry, $3.8 million for field offices. You guys are banging on 12,000 doors a week mm -hmm. uh, all over uh, Broward County, right? Broward and, County and a sliver of Northern Miami-Dade. Yeah, and, and just to give it politically, um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is part of the obvious establishment. You know, I always like to talk about what, 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 we, what I've been educating uh, people on, Tim, is the obvious establishment and the not so obvious establishment. And, you know, when I was 17, 18, I remember Jesse Jackson. You, I don't know if you remember this. I don't know how old you are. Ran against a guy called Walter Mondale. Yes. And at the last minute, uh, Jesse Jackson, you know, he was sort of the Bernie Sanders of the time. And some of us who were idealists at the time said, oh, he's anti-establishment. But at the last minute, what does Jesse Jackson do? He bows down and he gives all of his votes to Mondale, the better of two, the lesser of two evils nonsense. Very much like what Bernie Sanders did with Hillary Clinton at the end. So my politics realize that there is the establishment wings of the party, and then there's the not so obvious establishment wings. They typically confuse the progressives on one side, or what, what you call the more left, and then the uh, you know or the the right, you know. And and we have both of these: the obvious establishment, and then you have the not so obvious establishment. And it looks like in your case. Uh, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. We, you know, at that point, you were involved with the not so obvious establishment, maybe not so obviously, right, without knowing it. But Bernie, in my view, represented the not so obvious establishment. He talks a good game, but ultimately he bowed down to Biden and he bowed down to Hillary Clinton. He didn't build an independent movement. I appreciate what you were doing in your second election. Dr. But, Shiva, if, if I could just yeah. interject and, uh, you know, I agree with your analysis wholeheartedly. Uh, just to give you a little bit more of sort of the flavor of what was happening in 2016. Out of the blue, in May of 2016, I didn't even see it coming. Uh, Bernie Sanders endorsed uh, me and my campaign. Um, prior to that, there were people who were saying, oh, uh, Tim, you should contact the Sanders campaign. Uh, maybe they'll, uh, you'll get an endorsement. And I, I thought he's running against the head of the DNC. He's got his own presidential race. Um, he's got nothing to gain by endorsing me. Um, who knows why he endorsed me? I never reached out and asked him for it, but he endorsed me. He called me up um, at the Democratic convention. And I should say his endorsement helped. It helped us raise a lot of money. Uh, we had already raised over a million dollars. We were we were doing well. I think we could have won this race without his endorsement, but um, it was thrilling to get that endorsement and get that, that national uh, recognition um, at a whole nother level. Uh, by the time Sanders went to the Democratic National Com uh, Convention and had the white flag up and was endorsing Hillary, uh, he was interviewed and he was quoted, I believe, in the New York Times and the New Republic as saying he was going to help some down-ballot campaigns and campaign for them. And my name was the only one he actually mentioned. So there was lots of expectations he'd be coming to Florida to campaign for us. And um, I had some talks with one of his aides, but then suddenly it went completely silent never heard back from him. And um, it became a, an issue, you could say, where the local papers, the Miami Herald and the Sun Sentinel were re reporting, well, why isn't Bernie coming? 
Bernie said he was coming. Why isn't he coming? And, you know, it became um, a little bit of a, a distraction. Uh, you know, we dealt with it and, and stayed focused on the issues. But I, I think what you mentioned about Jesse Jackson and the way he folded to Mondale, uh, that's essentially what happened with Sanders. Yeah, well, he got a private plane out of that deal. Well, you know, there are carrots and sticks. And who yeah. knows what kind of threats uh, were made to Bernie Sanders and his wife? Who knows what kind of... Um, carrots, what kind of inducements were made, uh, but they they made whatever deal they were going to make, and, and certainly I wasn't in on the deal. And um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, the, well, the, establish, I, the establishment, uh, I'll tell you, my name appeared in WikiLeaks, you know, the DNC leaks, um, I think 100 or 200 times. Uh, it was very clear that the DNC was doing Wasserman Schultz's bidding. They were surveilling my campaign, monitoring it, and infiltrating the campaign, which was very painful to find out uh, both in real time when it was happening and sometimes after the campaign that people I hired and trusted were actually reporting back uh, to the establishment the whole time. Well, Tim, I think the main principle that I learned, you, you see, I grew up as an untouchable kid in, when I was a kid in India, was very interested in politics as a very, very young kid, grew up in working class towns in New Jersey. So when I saw that phenomenon occur when Jesse Jackson sold out, uh, I real we I broke with all parties, and we started a radical newspaper at MIT, and we would hit both Democrats and Republicans. This was back in '83, '84, '85. So I never voted in my life ever, ever mm -hmm. until Trump ran. And when yeah. Trump ran, I saw a guy. You remember he was part of the Reform Party. He he used to make fun of Democrats and Republicans. In fact, he used to attack Republicans, calling them stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, but he his view was that uh, when I saw him on the stage attacking both parties. I just love the fact, just out of sheer anger, that he was blowing up both of them. So first mm -hmm. time I ever voted was then. But I think the key thing that people need to understand, and I think um, this is the thing that leads to sort of suffering, is people go through the either the left wing of the Democrat establishment or the right wing of the Republican establishment, thinking that they're really fighting a battle when they basically get misled. And it's a not so obvious establishment. Uh, a friend of mine, you know, in 2016, came to my house. She was heading up the Bernie Sanders campaign. And, and she goes, oh, Shiva, you should support Bernie. Uh, Bernie's going to, I'm sorry, when Hillary ran, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah, in the primary, 2015. And I said, Lori, that's her name. I said, Lori, look, Bernie's going to do exactly what Jesse Jackson did in 84. He's going to bow down and he's going to give all of his votes to all of his delegates to Hillary. She goes, no way, Bernie's never going to sell out the movement. I go, look, that's what he's going to do because he's basically uh, a, a bullshitter. I said, he will talk the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. He's not working people. Well, that's exactly what Bernie did two years later, right? He bows down to Hillary Clinton. He basically, without principle, and that's what these guys do. And then he just did the same thing to Biden just now. And I think what people need to learn is that none of these people represent working people because they're not one of us. So our campaign in Massachusetts, what's interesting is when I compare what happened to you, you know, with your, you raised a ton of money, you had field offices, we raised a lot of money, small dollar donations. We had no paid volunteers, but we had full-time staff, Tim. Okay, everyone working their butts off. 60% uh, of our campaign were people who were registered but never voted. They said, Shiva, I've never held a bumper sticker. I've never held a lawn sign. So very, very similar features. And um, I had the inverse thing. The year before, in 2018, I ran as an independent. 
mm-hmm. against Elizabeth Warren. We got five times more votes than any independent candidate, and they kept me off the debate stage. And then we split to running as a Republican this time. <laughs> you went from a Democrat, right, and then went independent. So yeah. we went the other way, and we thought we would do, you know, we we would hijack their Republican primary, and we were that's what we were doing. Yeah. We had our all of our polls said sixty six percent. We have all the data that we were going to win, and this other idiot who was nowhere to be found, no campaign, no lawn signs, no bumper stickers, no one even heard of this guy. Yeah. And um, so it's very, very similar, but the the difference, I think, I guess one of the differences here is that we had no illusions in many ways about these guys in the sense that we knew the Massachusetts GOP was full of crap, right? We knew they didn't like us, they were gonna screw us. And I think what's interesting in your case is you were going after the machine, right? Mm-hmm. Debbie yep. Wasserman Schultz is the machine and most people don't go challenge that and, and sort of similar to what we did with the GOP machine. Yeah. And I think the machine on both sides, Republican and Democrat are one. Yeah. They have, I mean, you just mentioned they were with the electric companies, I forget the number of the other companies. They're, they ultimately do horse trading and working people get screwed in those horse trades yeah. and we get nothing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Dr. Shiva, I was a, a lifelong Democrat. Um, I, uh, Grew up in a working uh, class, uh, you know, bedroom community of New York City. I had on Long Island and I went to John F. Kennedy High School and Kennedy was sort of a hero. And so were the Roosevelt's. So I had been a Democrat really most of my life, uh, my my entire voting life until 2012, um, in which at that point, you know, I'd been writing about the Federal Reserve and Wall Street for years. And when the Obama administration turned to Larry Summers and Timothy Geithner and embraced Wall Street, um, I lost my enthusiasm for the Obama administration. And I I became a, an independent in 2012. I only changed back to Democrat when I ran against Wasserman Schultz. Um, I thought we could take her down in a primary. She had never had any kind of opposition. Um, I, had, uh, I had been supportive of the Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, in hindsight, um, it makes a lot of sense, but at the time, uh, what happened makes a lot of sense. But at the time, uh, I had a lot of hopes that there was a big movement in this country that so many people were tired of the insiders and so tired of the establishment. And in 2016, Sanders and Donald Trump represented the outsiders. And um, of course, I was hoping Bernie Sanders would be the president who would kill the Trans-Pacific Partnership and take on the Federal Reserve and take on the swamp. And it's been Donald Trump. And, you know, that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of progressives. They don't want to believe it. Uh, Sanders, um, you know, didn't just cave to Hillary Clinton and the establishment, but he's also repeated these talking points, these smears. It's very easy to call your opponent a racist and a sexist and to not talk about the issues. And that's really the, the level, the low level of political discourse we've had for four years now. And um, the Democrats should have been focusing on the manipulated elections, the electronic voting machines, but why would they? This is what's kept them in power all of these years. You know, um, it reminds me of George Carlin, the late George Carlin. He used to say, uh, it's, a, it's a big club and we're not in it. Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting is, um, Tim, because perhaps, you know, I grew up as an you know, my early experience was was an untouchable in India, and I saw how these politicians worked. You know, similar 
in many countries, you have the so-called liberal elite or the equivalent of the Democratic Party. They come in and give the people free food and this and that, and they try to buy votes. And that's what's happened in this country. They do. They ultimately do. Many of these people do not work for a living. They're not of the people. So when someone comes truly bottoms up, what we have both learned is they have a switch. They have a kill switch. And that switch is in the software. And as Absolutely. we shared in that software, which is controlled by very, very few people. And I think what people really need to understand is that we all thought when the Internet came, right, just like the Gutenberg Press, it was going to provide more freedom. Well, with the Gutenberg Press, it provided freedom for around 400 years. And then you had consolidation of four major publishing companies mm -hmm. with technology. The consolidation has occurred within you know, two decades, 20 years, one twentieth of the you know, one twentieth of the time. Um, so what we see, and as a technologist, what I want to share with people is these technologies, one or two engineers, one or two companies can influence billions of people's lives. And that's what's actually taking place. With a flip of a switch, they can multiply your vote by a weight. You know, um, in our case, we've actually discovered what that weight was. Tim, we just, ran, the, our mathematicians have found out in my case, the weight was 0.66 which is what they multiplied my weight, uh, vote by my votes and the other guy by 1.2. So that's why these guys don't care. In your case with the independent vote, you were, you said it was 34, 34, and suddenly everything becomes 55. So I think what people need to wake up to is this is no different than some junta, some failed state have, you know, banana Republic. That's what this yep. is. Yep. They don't have to do anything. Absolutely. And you know, Dr. Shiva, in the closing weeks of my 2016 campaign, when our campaign was almost euphoric, I mean, we had victory within our reach. It certainly felt like victory. And I, I would ask my campaign lawyer and I'd ask several of the other uh, political professionals that we had, uh, can't they rig the voting machines? And they'd always say, no, that doesn't happen. Uh, the state of Florida is on top of it. And I'd say, how do you know? And it really was most, it, it, it's like believing in Santa Claus. Yeah. People, you know, they just want to believe. They don't, they don't want to believe that our, our elections are rigged. And yet the United States of America is the only major country purporting to be a democracy that has not banned the electronic voting machines now. Uh, the New York, and this is not some fringe conspiracy theory. The New York Times in February of, I think, 2017, had a, a major article in the New York Times Magazine by uh, Kim Vetter, I believe her name was, and it was called "The Myth of the Electron of, of the Electronic Voting Machines." Uh, it was all about uh, the, the myth of the hacker-proof electronic voting machines, and it, and it, it basically was that almost really any electronic voting machine, any of them, can be hacked or manipulated from the inside. Uh, there's an annual DEF CON conference for hackers in Las Vegas. And a couple of years ago, a 12-year-old boy from Florida hacked into the Florida voting system in 20 minutes. Uh, you know, this is a disgrace. It's a national disgrace. Uh, we should ban these electronic voting machines. I, I do want to tell you a story about Clint Curtis. Uh, Clint Curtis was... Before you go to that, yeah. what I want to say is, look, I've been building enterprise software systems since I was a 14-year-old kid. I don't know if you know this, do you know where 90% of uh, security leaks occur in, in, in computer systems? No. They're insiders. So you don't even need to do hacking. Right. So you don't need the hacking. What, what occurs is 
it's an insider game. You could have a few people that can just do this very fast. Hacking isn't even needed. It's yeah. essentially, um, in these cases, you can literally have people very quickly multiply your vote by 30% and multiply another guy's vote by 200%. So it's not even hacking. When you even look at this, it's not even that sophisticated. Um, you know, as Bev Harris, Benny Smith, and others have shown, um, these systems store our votes as fractions, as decimal numbers. They have features to do this weighted race. So the cheating is already built in. And I think the most important takeaway, I think both of us uh, can conclude with is that you, ha you have to stop all these electronic systems. Everything should go to hand-counted votes. For us in Franklin County, it was 80% hand-counted, Tim. We won there. We won there by up to 10 points. And in <laughs> That tells you everything. Yeah, just every other county, 60-40, yeah. 60-40, 60-40. Here's a pasty-faced white guy. No one should take this the wrong way. I just have to give that image. Here he wins in Lawrence, all brown people, Hispanic. Yeah. Here he wins in Brockton, black people. Here he wins in all white uh, Plymouth County. He wins in every town county, 60-40. And what I wanted to just share here is this is out of the um, – out of the uh, 15 cities, we asked for the participating voter list, right? The actual list of people who voted, which is column two here, and then the actual votes. Uh, and out of those 15 cities, Tim, seven gave us their information. And what you can see here is there are more votes than voters. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. More votes than voters. And this, is, and this is a symptom of cheating, obviously, yeah. But it's a symptom of that when those and, and it's a symptom as the fact that they do this so openly and egregiously now. Yeah. They, they don't even care if people find them out. In your case, I think you said this woman was found red handed. She's burning up your ballots. And it, then it goes to the Fed and the Fed doesn't even care. And and, and Dr. Shiva, you need to really emphasize what you just said. You went to the Fed to show them they're violating federal law. They suddenly go to D.C. and then they come back with nothing. So to me, the states don't care and the federal government doesn't care. No one should have illusions. And I think I'd really like you to repeat what you just said. You went to the federal government. You, you had the U.S. acting attorney go to Washington and he comes back and he just he disappears. No different than Bernie Sanders disappearing. And, and uh, you know, yes. And the acting U.S. attorney, when he went to Washington and met at the Justice Department for for a week, comes back and, and suddenly they're not going to prosecute. And like I said, he had been meeting with the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, the same one who appointed Mueller to investigate, you know, the Russia conspiracy theory. Right. Um, and, you know, we argued, I argued that this was a moral hazard. When you allow criminals to get away with their crime, especially so blatantly and so openly, you're giving them an invitation to repeat the crime. And that's exactly what happened to us in 2018. I should mention in 2018, um, when the polls closed, uh, one of my campaign volunteers was standing outside of a, a, a polling station and saw a line of cars driving up and they were offloading the big blue satchels filled with ballots and loading them onto a, a rented truck. There was no sheriff's deputies, no chain of custody. I was told recently that the corrupt Sheriff at the time had called off his deputies. The fix was in. And we posted that video. The video went viral and, and got over 2 million views in just a couple of days. And still, 
no investigation. And then one other thing, those electronic voting machines in this in, in Broward County, the scanning machines where you take the paper ballots and you scan them through and that's when they're counted right there at the voting site. Every single one of those electronic uh, tabulators had wireless cellular modems on them. So they could be rigged from insiders. They can be rigged from outsiders. A wireless cellular modem, it's like not a back door. It's like a front door uh, for, for hacking. Um, and finally, I should say that the statute of limitations for Brenda Snipes and her cohorts for yeah, destroying the ballot. So four-year statute of limitations from it started September 1st, 2017, when they destroyed the ballots. That means uh, the U.S. Attorney, the Department of Justice, or other prosecutors have until September 1st, 2021, to prosecute. And we still are hoping justice is going to be done. There is no democracy here in South Florida. Uh, there's so much energy. There's so many people who go out and vote. Of course, more people don't even vote. Uh, uh, more people didn't vote in 2016, 97 million, than the 60 million who voted for Donald Trump or the 60 million who voted for Hillary Clinton. But so many people have their hopes up on elections. And these are not real elections. They're fake elections. Um, and both parties are involved, and it does seem like the mafia where they put out a map and they decide, okay, Broward County is for the Democrats to do whatever they want. The Republicans have these other counties, and every now and then the mafia has a crisis when it's an election that's very close, and uh, then they have to litigate it or, or you know, somehow hash it out. Yeah, I, th I think what's happened, Tim, is if... Um you know, I have, a, you know, I run a company, um, it's a technology company where we are trying to eliminate animal testing, right? Very interesting technology. And on my board, I have a guy who's a hardcore Trumper and another guy who's a liberal, okay? Yes. It's a very interesting discussion. We had a board meeting and we started talking politics, but they both agreed on this one important point because they're both, you know, reasonably smart guys, you know, who are rational. And that smart point was that both parties uh, do horse trading. And the example we talked about was Obamacare. And when you start looking at Obamacare, how did Obama, first of all, who did Obamacare help? It helped big pharma, big hospitals, big insurance, right? It was b basically a captive audience that it delivered to, to those three institutions. How did Obama get that passed? A lot of people don't have not looked in, in that bill for Obamacare. Um, there was the increase in the exemptions for estate tax. Okay, from three million to six million. And no one understands what the hell that's doing there. And, uh, you know, this fellow John, who's a Trumper Republican, was saying, you know what? We screwed the working people because what really happened was one one wing of the bourgeois, the establishment, which wanted to serve their masters in big hospitals, big pharma and big insurance, needed to get that through. So they did a horse trading deal with the other wing of the establishment who was very getting very concerned. If you remember in 2012 uh, to, to, to educate everyone, you know, there, if you are very wealthy and you want to transfer wealth to your kids, there's a, there was a $3 million exemptions, which means you can transfer 3 million, zero taxes. And in that year, um, a lot of the very wealthy people were transferring their, in, their assets very quickly to their children. In fact, it was the biggest transfer of wealth that took place in the United States because they were afraid Obama was going to cut that. $3 million exemption. But what does Obama do? He doesn't cut it. He increases the exemption to $6 million. Mm -hmm. So what, what ended up happening was the U.S. 
frankly, the budget loses tax revenue. And this is what they've been doing. We have foundations that don't pay any taxes. So that's an example of the horse trading these guys do. Mm -hmm. And so they basically, the gerrymandering is very well organized. You get this town, you get this town. So in Massachusetts, Ed Markey and Joe Kennedy were the two guys that are running on the Democrat side. Here's me, not a lawyer. The other two guys are lawyers. The Republican governor, who's friends with the other two Democrats, finds another fool, another lawyer, don't take this the wrong way, but who's never heard of and who no one knows to run against me, a working guy, right? An engineer. And what you see there, the reason they did this is because if you follow the money, because the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee do not want to, they only want to spend money where they really need to spend money. Right. So if they can obviate the need to spend money in a U.S. Senate race, which may they have to spend 50, 30, 50 million dollars. So here's Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, who's a quote unquote Republican, Rhino. The infrastructure in Massachusetts, by the way, got an F minus, minus, F minus, minus. Yet he gets rated the top best governor in the country. He strikes a deal with the Democrats, finds a loser. So he gets his favors done. The DNC does not have to spend money on the U.S. Senate race, because if a guy like me wins the Republican primary, I'm going to destroy him and they're going to spend a lot of money. So I think people listening need to understand this is one club. And, and to your point, what George Carlin said, and we're not part of it. Yeah. So that's why I think the only solution here um, is when people run in these elections, like what you've gone through, they want people to, to get depressed. They want people to get nihilistic, right? Oh, my God, you can't do anything. The world sucks, blah, blah, blah. And my view is, is you have to build a movement. And the movement is not the stupid Bernie Sanders bullshit movement, right? He used the word movement and revolution and blah, 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 just like Jesse Jackson did, right? These guys are absolute rhetoric. Is is you have to embed yourself among working people. You have to be one of you have to be a working person. It can't be top down. Yeah. That's why, you know, we decided to do this write-in campaign because it's not like you end, you escalate. Um, so I think that's what needs to happen nationally, internationally. Uh, at least people in places like Chile or p- places like Afghanistan know there's election fraud. In America, the naivete of very good, innocent American people is, oh, that occurs over there, over there. You know, we have democracy here. And to your point, they're all fake elections because as long as those software features exist in those electronic systems, there is absolutely no democracy, period. Uh, You know, Dr. Shiva, I agree with you. I think that what's needed is a movement, a movement for democracy, uh, a pro-democracy movement in this country that is uh, it spans the entire spectrum because whether you're on the extreme right the extreme left or in the center whether you're think of yourself as a republican a democrat an independent a green or libertarian this is a rigged election system and we all have an interest in fixing this in reforming this system and making it work i think your campaign right now your writing campaign is perhaps the most important campaign in the country right now And I say that because the fix is in on these electronic voting machines. The way around it is to have write-in campaigns, which forces them, forces the election officials to count the ballots because they're write-in ballots. Now, it's not a guarantee that that will work, but that is probably the best that we can do in the present system. Well, I think, think, Tim, what it does is, to me, 
you know, my great grandfather was an indentured servant. He ultimately said revolution is education, mm -hmm. but the education is not theoretical sitting and talking political science. It's getting your hands dirty, uh, jumping in. And sometimes you have to fight to do the fight, knowing that the fight will expose other things that you can use to continue the fight. Yep. So if we just simply walked away, it would be stupid. So the write-in campaign will, ex will, first of all, expose to people that they should be participating. We have uh, a woman down in Cape Cod, a volunteer, um, Marie Riley, and you know, she said, you know, I have a lot of Democrat friends. And when I told them, because everyone knows we freaking won this election, they saw our signs everywhere. It's unbelievable. They said, we're going to vote for Shiva. So to your point, this is not about capital R, Republican establishment of capital D. It's about lowercase r, lowercase d, lowercase independent, working people coming together across these very dumb party lines. And the slogan that we put forward, Tim, is it really needs to go beyond left and right, beyond black and white. Working people have to unite for truth, freedom and health. And I really encourage, you know, some of the election people called us. We notice even within them, you know, the election integrity people, they're still holding on to the Bernie side, yeah. they're still holding on to the Democrat side and they'll attack Trump viciously. Well, forget Trump. No one knows Trump and you can't judge, make judgments because no one knows people. But what people need to understand is that he was a necessary disruption. He threw a huge battering ram at the king's castle and there's a big hole there now. And that hole gives an opportunity to rip it open. So, you know, I really encourage people, you know, who are listening to this, if you're a Democrat and you really hate Trump, let go of that. It's just bullshit. It's mm -hmm. brainwashing. What you really need to think about is that working people in this country since 1971, since, you know, we went to the, you know, the petrodollar standard are being squeezed at the up into 45 to 70 in 1945 to 71, all income distributions grew, mm -hmm. grew, right? But starting in 1971, except for the top 10% of the income distributions, the 90% of us, even if you're college educated, if you got all this education, the incomes are have shrunk significantly. Mm -hmm. So we have seen socialism. So when Bernie Sanders and all these guys talk about socialism, they have created socialism. They've created the conditions through this horse trading, socialism for the wealthy. We've seen yeah. $3 trillion get transferred from working people. The average, the guy who makes $50,000 today should actually be making $120,000. So if you take that delta of 70K and you sum it up among all those people, it comes up to about 50 trillion. That's the wealth transfer that's gone upwards. Yeah, so there has been redistribution of wealth. There has been socialism. It's been for the wealthy and it's been brought to you by Barack Obama, brought to you by Bernie Sanders, brought to you by Hillary Clinton, brought to you by John Boehner, brought to you by all of these guys. Yep. That's what's going on. So anyone who holds on to I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, where well, you're freaking stupid. You got it. that's adolescent, adolescent politics. And anyone who says I support BLM and I'm for not defunding the police, it's the same thing. It's the it's the race war they want to create. I'm white, I support the police. You're black or you're a liberal elite, you, you put a BLM sign. And this is the recurring narrative that's gone on in American politics. And people get very, very passionate about the not so obvious establishment wings. And that's the way the that's the way suffering has continued in the United States is because people don't break from both parties. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I'm a big proponent of building movement. So they're probably going to cheat. Let's be honest. They'll probably cheat. They'll probably throw away our ballots. But the fact is 
that every movement we make forward and we're relentless to educates people and more people get involved and more people get involved and we create a revolutionary force. That's why we want to do the right in Tim. It's not about winning on their battlefield. It's about winning on our battlefield, which is building a bottoms up movement and not the lying movement Bernie Sanders was talking about. He's a sellout. He sold out the movement. He was a never a working person. You have to look at his history. He never worked. You have to go to, I mean, all of our campaign, Tim, are working people. Yeah. You know, no one got paid, Tim. Nurses, plumbers, electricians, small business owners, they would do their work and they'd come do standouts. I'm saying it cannot be built on political hacks, these movements. Yeah. It has to be built on, and by the way, when working people come out, that's when you have a real force. That's when the establishment gets scared. When, you know, college students are doing, I'm not, nothing against college students, they know that's sort of a, you know, vagrant crowd, right? One day they'll be into it, another they don't. But when a nurse who leaves her job comes out to hold her sign, that's a commitment they're making. Yeah. Um, Dr. Shiva, in 2016, we had people coming from all over the country, some to get paid, awesome. some, some not even for money. And that happened in 2018 as well. People from all over the country descended on our district and volunteered for us. So I know exactly what you're saying. There's nothing like a grassroots yeah. movement. And, you know, I've been criticized in the press and by the establishment as some kind of a sore loser. And the fact is, I'm not all that sore. I, I am very happy. I, I, I love living in South Florida. Um, I consider what we did to be so important that we exposed this corruption. And that's what you're doing right now as well. This all has to be brought to light. It has to be exposed. Um, the reality is, had I won that election and been in Congress, I wouldn't have been able to get anything done. Uh, you know, both parties are top down, and I wouldn't have been able to shake the agenda at all. Uh, you know, Tim, it's, what's interesting that you say is um, there are the not-so-obvious establishment in, in the establishment, if, if, that, if that makes sense. So, And you'll notice that all of these guys... Um, have a limit that they will not expose the establishment. You know, they'll talk a game, those people. Um, so even in the, so Tucker Carlson, for example, won't touch this, right? Because he watches which way the wind blows, yeah. right? Uh, remember, he didn't support Trump in the beginning. He started supporting him later on. So all of the establishment media, no one should, people say, well, if we do this lawsuit, maybe the media will cover us. That's yeah. the wrong way of thinking. Right. It's neighbor okay. to neighbor. Yeah. It's, it's it's the brainwashing that has taken place and it's it's like you're living in a cesspool right yeah it's in people's minds where people start judging their victories and their successes by the oppressor's uh rule book yes uh, absolutely absolutely and, and my experience confirms a lot of what you're saying you know i was all over cnn and msnbc and fox in 2016 and even into 2017 and 18, uh, was still a, a welcome on Fox at least. I was being censored on uh, liberal media, on MSNBC, uh, shadow banned on social media. Uh, but it's funny, when we won our ballot destruction lawsuit, uh, Fox suddenly didn't want to cover us at all. So that confirms exactly what you were saying. Um, you know, I do want to mention uh, in pointing towards a solution. And I know you and I uh, spoke about this very briefly. Um, the experience of Clint Curtis is an interesting one. Uh, Clint was a computer software programmer 
and this is around the year 2000, when the company he worked for, I think Yang Industries, was retained by Tom Feeney, a Republican Speaker of the Florida House at the time, asking if they could um, design a software uh, that would flip the vote and change an election outcome. And uh, Clint Curtis was tasked with doing that, and he threw himself into it, and he succeeded. And he thought that Tom Feeney was going to take this information, take his software program, and expose it and show how insecure the elections were. And to his horror, no, it was the opposite. He suspected that Feeney was using it to rig elections, and Clint Curtis blew the whistle. If you look online, I think on YouTube, uh, there's his testimony before the House of Representatives, the U.S. Congress in 2004. Mm. And um, Clint is running for Congress in Florida's 6th Congressional District. He's running as a Democrat. There's a lot of issues I strongly disagree with him on. I, I just tell you that right up front. But when it comes to election reform, he knows what he's talking about. And this is what he proposes, is to have open source software on the electronic machines, but only for an initial unofficial count of the vote. And then the, the official count is being done by the hand counting of paper ballots, like they do all over Europe, any country that considers itself a democracy. They count the, the ballots in public by hand and report them at the local precinct level immediately. So it minimizes the ability to rig on a wholesale, wholesale basis the way you can with rigging the software of electronic voting machines. And of course, if, and that's a lot like what Columbia County, New York has done. They've had over these years, uh, a democratic commissioner and a Republican commissioner, and they're required by state law to do a machine count for the official count. But uh, Virginia, Dr. Virginia Martin was the democratic commissioner. So I, I, she spoke at a forum that we held down here they would follow it up with hand counting every paper ballot that was cast. It would take some days. Both parties worked together on doing it very transparently and in public. And it deterred rigging the machines. Who wants to rig the machines if you know there's going to be a hand count afterwards? Taxpayer funded. You don't have to have a campaign suing to do it and paying to do it. This, this was done taxpayers. Now, some would say Columbia County, New York is a small county. Well, yeah, that means they don't have that many votes to count. Uh, it, you look at it as a jury pool. The bigger the county, the bigger the jurisdiction, the more citizens you can draw upon to count the paper ballots by hand. Make it a civic duty. Why not do the hand counting right away? Uh, that's what I'm for. I, I really am. Yeah, that's I, the idea. Look, that's the idea. I don't know. You said Chris's background is a technologist? Uh, Clint, Clint Curtis, um, a software programmer and now a lawyer, um, you know, I think it's his way of compromising. Look, I think a hand count initially for the official count would be the best. Unfortunately, it's like Americans want an answer. You know, the polls close at seven. They want to turn on their TVs and have all the election results finalized by 9 p.m. God forbid you got to wait a day or two. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we should wait for three or four weeks for, you know, unlimited mail-in ballots to show up. I'm just saying if it takes a, an extra few hours or a day or so, you know, when Britain had its Brexit vote, those were millions, tens of millions of ballots, paper ballots, all counted by hand in public, and they had the official results by midnight. Yeah, look, I can tell you, you know, I used to run a company um, 
where we used to handle the email of every major Fortune 1000 company in the world, okay? In our data center. So you can imagine the incredible ethical uh, standards that we live by, because I remember some of our companies are financial services companies, and sometimes we'd have to do data polls because they were involved in a legal battle. Um, the immense amount of power unethical people have now is quite extraordinary. So absolute power corrupts absolutely. So I'm really of the opinion that this should be moving to hand counted votes um, because the technology and the people that control the technology cannot be, um, you, you can't trust them because of the amount of money and power involved. So it, it should be decentralized at the citizen level and it should be hand counted. And you're talking to someone who's got four degrees from MIT saying that and mm -hmm. in, in many ways, I'm saying we should become Luddites on certain issues. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, these people, the way I phrase it is, is these folks have the means, the motives, and the opportunity to rig electronically, then what's holding them back from doing it? The only yeah. thing that would be holding them back is if they've got some kind of ethical code, and there's no reason to assume they've got any ethical code that would deter them from rigging elections. And, and, the, and the thing is, people, for example, attack countries like Venezuela. Well, in Venezuela, there's voter IDs, and you get a receipt. In India, you get a receipt, okay? There's no receipts. The system, the input to the system is flawed. The system process is flawed and the output is flawed. There's a very uh, great MIT uh, engineer scientist who actually, you know, came against the climate change nonsense, which we can talk about sometime. But uh, Dick Lindzen said, you know, what is evidence? And Dick was the earliest guy to be accepted. I think one of the youngest guys to the Na National Academy of Engineering. Evidence is unambiguous predictions. It's a very interesting definition. So what that means is you're sitting there on vote, you know, 8 p.m., 9 p.m. after the poll close, and all you're seeing is these numbers flash on the screen. Well, those numbers are a prediction of some reality that took place, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's just numbers. Well, if those for those numbers to be evidence of truth, they have to be unambiguous. So if the inputs to these systems are ambiguous. None of us in the United States can prove we ever even voted. We don't get any receipt. We don't get any voter IDs. So the input is ambiguous. The system, as we've just talked about, the fact that the software exists to vote, to store the votes as decimal numbers, and it has a weighted race feature, shows that anything coming out of that is garbage in, garbage out. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. That's what they say in software engineering, you can do garbage in, garbage out. Yep. So the whole system is just bullshit. And, yep. and it's just garbage. And, and until we have hand-counted votes, and as I just said, in Franklin County, we win, right? Hand-counted, 80% were hand-counted in every other county, 60-40, 60-40, And it looks like they, what you said, they flipped the votes in both times. Yep. One, and and yeah. some of the same experts you're working with, like yeah. Harris and uh, Benny Smith, they've come, uh, they've been, they worked with me in the past on my elections. These are they know exactly what they're talking about. These are experts who have, Benny Smith is a computer software programmer. He and Beth Harris have been pioneers in, in this kind of electronic flipping of votes. Uh, it's very clear what's happening. And like you said earlier, they're doing it in plain sight. Nobody's investigating. It's a travesty. I've said many times, this is not any longer right versus left in this country. This is right versus wrong. This is integrity versus corruption. and. You know, it's got to change. And um, I, I'm very grateful that you're fighting what happened uh, and uh, doing your best to expose this 
corruption. And you're absolutely right. It's going to take a grassroots movement from the ground up. Uh, and that requires speaking the truth and spreading the word, uh, not necessarily through the mass media uh, or social media. You see the kind of censorship you're facing and that many others have faced. Uh, you know, I just I just want to say one other word that I first became aware of you early in this pandemic for the work that you were doing, uh, the, the, the critical commentary about the official narratives about the pandemic. And I have such great respect for your truth telling. Thanks, Tim. Well, you know, it's interesting because in March of March 9th, I remember the coronavirus stuff hitting and I had 90 days before that given the what's called the prestige lecture where they invite one um, uh, senior, you know, uh, scientist who's done of some note to deliver the what's called the annual prestige lecture at the National Science Foundation. This was in November 2019 on the immune system. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, the immune system is far more complex uh, than what was understood in 1915 or even 1960 when the 1962 Vaccination Act was put forward by Kennedy. It was mm -hmm. frankly compared to then, we have fake science of the immune system. And I shared a very much more complex notion of the immune system. So when I saw this coronavirus thing come in March, uh, I did a tweet. I think it got like 30,000 retweets. I think it went to like 10, 20 million people, which basically said that uh, this will go down in history as one of the biggest fear-mongering hoaxes. As someone who studies the immune system, I can say this emphatically, it will be used to destroy economies, push mandated medicine, and suppress dissent. And that's what it's done. And so when you're in the field, you know what you're talking about. This is why I believe working people still have a lot of common sense. And I was able to call up Fauci because I could see he was a bullshitter. This guy's a complete fraud. And now as a, the other, you know, putting on my other hat as a computer scientist, as someone who has, you know, has three to four degrees from MIT, has a math knowledge. To me, I find myself in an interesting situation because the coronavirus, it's my PhD in biological engineering, which helped me go after Fauci. And now it's my computer science background. What I wanted to share with you was we have this very interesting data. So one of our guys did this analysis. And then I had another friend of mine who's an actuary. As people know, actuaries are the guys who do predictive analysis to figure out for all the insurance companies, right? So their numbers have to be accurate. So what we, um, we noticed something fascinating that when you do this vote analysis, as you know, the accumulated uh, vote average, you notice that, you know, if you look at votes over time, so if you got 60% and I got 40%, after a certain number of votes, that number, that percentage should stay flat, right? It shouldn't increase or decrease. If it increases or decreases, that means there's cheating going on. That's a cumulative vote tally, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so in math, we call that a steady state. Natural mm -hmm. systems ultimately reach a steady state um, because natural systems have a natural stability. Unnatural systems have an instability. They keep going, they, they diverge. Okay, and that's what you see in these systems. The interesting phenomenon that we've noticed in Massachusetts is typically the election integrity people are talking about, they've seen the cheating, but they haven't been ever able to figure out the percentage flipping. Mm -hmm. We got very lucky in Massachusetts in one of the counties where there was high frequency of low number of votes before the divergence occurs, we can actually see this flipping. And so one of our guys discovered this. And then this morning I had someone else completely independent 
you know, this guy who's a, a mathematician actuary who does this for the biggest insurance companies, review the data. And this is what I want to share with you. And we haven't published this yet. So it's the first time people are seeing that what you'll see here is quite fascinating. Here are my votes. Okay. So what you're seeing here is on the X axis, you see the actual number of votes. And then the Y axis, you see the number of precincts that saw those votes coming in. So in this case, you see 26 precincts where I got one vote, because this is typically a Democrat set of uh, count, uh, cities. Then you see, so it went, goes from 26 one votes to 10 precincts where I only got two votes. And then it goes back up to um, nearly 28 precincts where I got three votes. And then it goes back down to 10 precincts where I only got four votes. But you see this flipping up and down, Tim? Mm -hmm. High, low, high, low, high, low, high, low. And it's going from an odd number to an even number, odd number to an even number. What's fascinating is it's two times more odd numbers and even numbers. So if you just step back, you know, I, I, I used to like to do gambling, okay, because I can count numbers. It's like going to the casino and you're, you can bet on the odd number and you have two times more chance of winning. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what this is like. It's almost having a dice with the numbers one, three, five, and seven, and this two and four, okay? This probability, we had another expert look at it, and I'll, I just gave you the analysis. And the other guy, so you see I have high, low, high, low, high, low, this pattern, very predictable pattern. The other guy only has one high, low. You see far more random. This is, by the way, this guy was called Cock, great marketing guy. That's his, that's his uh, website, okay? But you see high, low, high, low nine times, and his is only once. Now the chance of this, it's 0.1%. It's called the p-value, okay? Mm -hmm. So when you look at this, is we were able to figure out, I don't know if I shared that. Did I share that screen? I shared this right here, mm -hmm. okay? The chance of this, Tim, when you look at this, so this is my frequency. I mean, this is my frequency. This high, low, very predictable numbers. You don't see this in nature. This is not natural. And you notice in the other guys, he's got randomness. Mm -hmm. And the possibility of this taking place is 0.1% when you do simulations. And we ran 50,000 simulations. At, at, it's one out of whatever, about 1,000, okay? Mm -hmm. This is unlikely. And the only way this could have occurred when you work out the math is if my votes were multiplied by 0.666% and his votes were multiplied by 1.2. That's how they got this predictable 60-40, 60-40, 60-40. But in the hand count of Franklin County, I win, you know, by six to 10 points. So when you, I can't overemphasize, the reason I said this is when I used to run my company where we used to handle massive amounts of data. I mean, if I was unethical for a client when they were in a legal suit, I could have just wiped out their data for them. Yeah. So one individual, one CEO of a company has, so I think Chris is frankly, it, we're wasting our time. It should just go to hand counted, hand counted, hand counted, hand counted, until maybe working people with weapons control these yeah. electronic systems, you know, we're the ones watching it. But until yeah. then, there's, there's frankly, it's, it, it's, it's all fraud. It's all rigged. You cannot trust it at all. My, my, my frustration, you know, having been a Democrat in the past and having to always hear that the Democrats are the party of science is they don't seem to have much of a commitment to computational science. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, suddenly 
you know, it's believe in Santa Claus, believe in whatever the outcomes of these uh, inherently vulnerable electronic voting machines spits out. Yep. So I hope, uh, Tim, thank you so much for your time. I think um, it was really good for you to share the ordeal you went through. Well, you're very welcome. And, and yeah. Dr. Shiva, thank you for having me on. If there's anything I can do to help, I'm at your service. I wish you all the best in fighting uh, in Massachusetts and exposing what's happening. And yeah, I, I, you know, I, would, I would just uh, make a plea for everyone who's watching this to contribute to Dr. Shiva's campaign in any way you can. Um, I know the power of grassroots um, uh, crowdfunding. It, it helped our efforts tremendously. And uh, it's clear, Dr. Shiva, that what you're doing right now is uh, really perhaps the most important campaign in the country right now to expose this kind of systematic fraud that's happening on the American people. Yeah, and I, I, I thank you, Tim. I think what, what needs to happen is um, what Tim and I have experienced, this has happened to lots of people. Uh, and I think this happens every day, local, state, every election. I think people need to understand the fact that in your case, Tim, the Fed didn't do anything. It should open people's eyes. There's no one uh, that we can wait for. There's no Messiah here. We yeah. have to do it on our own. And Tim, to your point, that's why I do believe our campaign is the most important thing going on right now, because the direction we're offering is the tip of the spear of a movement that goes beyond. You know, I, I think Trump, what he did was a historic contribution that he made. I think I don't care. If Donald Trump doesn't pass any bills in Congress. The fact that he made fake news a household term, yeah. a huge service. He should get probably 10 Nobel Prizes just for that. Um, but what we are doing is a very well thought out uh, campaign based on political theory, which is we need truth, freedom and health, uh, freedom, the ability to debate and have discourse. When I expose this to him, the secretary of state called Twitter to shut me down simply for sharing communications, which were public communications. So that's what you have. You have the collusion of the state with big corporations, big tech. Big and that, that is just about the definition of fascism. Exactly. The First Amendment, when you look at the discourse that took place, you know, when the Bill of Rights was took, taking place between Payne and Adams, right, and Hamilton, was they had to concede the Bill of Rights, which was the anti-federalists wanted the ability to keep in check the government, the right to petition government, which with the right to critique government officials was one of the primary, if, if not the reason that the First Amendment was created. So here I'm exposing the Secretary of State and the Secretary of State calls Twitter a liberal racist Jack Dorsey's company and they shut me down. So, so I believe you have a lawsuit against the Secretary of State. Yeah, so, so that's that's one of the areas, you know, that's a constitutional lawsuit. We're gonna be filing that very soon and they should be awaiting it because Massachusetts, in my view, Tim, while this is pervasive, Massachusetts in many ways is the center of the deep state. If you look at the sewer that feeds Washington, all the political elite, sometime walk, walk through the one mile radius between MIT and Harvard. And for that matter, globally. So I believe Massachusetts tests its insidious innovations there in some form, and then they disperse it everywhere. And, and so our campaign to, Tim, uh, whatever you can do to let people know, uh, what, what I said is people can even donate five bucks. And by the way, when people donate to our campaign, Tim, as I mentioned, they get a cool ebook called uh, System and Revolution. It's probably 40 years of my effort to teach people what a system is, what is revolution, and then they get an ability to apply those principles to actually help their own bodies 
but it's not just about health. It's about understanding systems. So if anyone out there, can, everyone should do that. It's five bucks. And if you can donate 50, you get more great products, but everyone should do that. But more importantly, people should let everyone know that they should pick up the sword, which is the pen. The pen is mightier than the sword and write in Dr. Shiva for U.S. Senate. That's what we need, Tim. And um, and we people need to get vociferous. People need to get articulate. People need to get angry. There's no more room for diplomacy anymore because these guys are crooks. They're insidious. And moreover, they don't care. They don't they will cheat. They'll steal, cheat right in the broad light of day. That's what they're doing. They did it to you. They're doing it to us. But you know what? We don't walk away. We're street fighters. We're going to go after them over and over and over again. Thank you for fighting, brother. Really appreciate what you're doing, Dr. Shiva. Thank you. Be the light, Tim. Um, we, let's you. keep in touch. Let's escalate this. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Hold on, Tim. Let me just end this and I'll come back to you. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night.